Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed, Ed, Mike, and myself, Steve, short one at the moment. Um, I'm going to turn the show for a moment over to Ed Powell, who wasn't with us last week, and tell me what do you think is the most important story of the week? Oh, well, I'd like to first congratulate us on being banned from YouTube. Thank um, you. Thank you. I, 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 I thought at once perhaps it was my advocacy uh, uh, or statement that the vaccines don't work, uh, but then I realized it had to be Alu's um, advocacy of, um, uh, you know, uh, secession that probably did it. So I don't uh, think so because I, I just watched um, Daniel Miller from Texas just did a joint YouTube yesterday with Alu from New Hampshire, with Marcus from California, and with somebody from Mexico, and he's still up and running on YouTube, so I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I do get... It. Maybe. Maybe I do get credit for banning, getting us banned. If so, it's a badge of honor. I have now been banned from three places. Yay me. Um, and he's the uh, most important story, obviously, is the three places. Yay me. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I've got an echo. But that the um, the most important story is the destruction of the Nord Stream one and two pipelines, the uh, to which took um, natural gas from Russia to Germany uh, by three separate explosions, and um, there's lots of uh, there's lots of chatter on the internet about who did it the uh, mainstream media and their handlers in the Biden regime think it was the Russia, Russia, Russia. The dissident media all think it's the United States. And um, there aren't too many other countries who even have the technical capabilities of, of doing it. And I don't even think the Russians necessarily have the technical capabilities of doing it uh, secretly without being caught. So, um, I think, you know, all right now, the default position is the United States did it because the U.S. government is the only government that had the motive, means, and opportunity. And I can um, I interrupt you for one second? Does this mean I can't shop there anymore? Yes, yes. The U.S. is a terrorist state now. So you no, uh, Nord, Nordstrom was blown uh, up. That's what I read. That's right. That's right. Yes, you can't get your women's shoes. <laughs> So, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think U.S. government has admitted uh, to it. I, I haven't seen anything where they've denied it, though. And by both Biden and Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Newland have threatened to shut down the pipeline by non-negotiation means in the past. One way um, or the other. One way or the other is Biden's exact quote. Yeah. So I I don't. I don't know how this is going to fall out. Certainly the regime media is pushing the Russia, Russia, Russia thing. I, I don't think that passes the sniff test, given that every Russian ship that goes out of St. Petersburg has been is tracked. Um, all of, you know, all of that ship data is public, too. Uh, so we'll get a lot of OSINT people going back and seeing, you know, who was where when. Of course, there could have been timers on the explosives. 
what so, motive could the Russians possibly have had? I mean, all they had to do if they wanted to destroy the pot, if they wanted to stop shipping natural gas, they could just turn the spigot off. Why would they um, destroy well, their own the, pipeline? The, the, alleged, the alleged motive is to turn the spigot off without seeming to turn the spigot off. You know what I mean? It's to turn. They have uh, not fulfilling the contract that they had with Nord Stream 1 without actually um, violating uh, violating the contract and, of course, blaming it on the United States to try and drive a wedge between Germany and the United States. That's the alleged motive. I, I don't Seems buy it. Seems very far-fetched to me. Why would they I destroy their it. own stuff? They built it. Right. Well, Germany built it. Um, I don't buy that, uh, that they do that. I mean, the other alternative who has... Uh, uh, the means and the opportunity, uh, if, if and with the motive being unclear, is Germany itself. Obviously, the government of Germany is under a lot of pressure not to take uh, Russian gas. But if they were to make that political decision, uh, the people would revolt since it was, you know, it's insane for them to freeze to death as opposed to buying Russian gas. So the, the thought was, well, maybe Germany did it so that they give the government plausible deniability to get what they want, which is to stop the Russian gas uh, without paying the political price of making that decision. I, again, I, I don't necessarily think that that's terribly plausible, but it was it's another person to throw in the pot. Of course, the Ukrainians would be very happy because there is a pipeline to Germany or a, a, yeah, a natural gas pipeline to Germany through Ukraine that has not been damaged but has not been used because the Ukrainians take a cut. Um, and so the Ukrainians have the motive to destroy this pipeline to try and get the Russians to you know, start shipping gas through Ukraine again. But of course, I don't think they have the means or the opportunity uh, to do that. Um, so I, I don't think they're a very reasonable uh, suspect. Of course, Whatever the, this uh, means, the, is this an act of war? course what between the united states and germany or whoever did it and germany i i suppose whoever did it the one the one possible suspect that i haven't heard mentioned either on this show or really in in looking at stories about it is maybe one of these multinationals you know one of you know soros driven group uh blackrock you know somebody like that it's definitely a Greenpeace yeah, kind of Sierra thing. Club. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Sierra <laughs> Club. Now, it's definitely one of these uh, militant green organizations, MO, um, and they don't like natural gas because they don't like any um, hydrocarbon fuels. But again, do they have the technical means to go down 100 meters and plant explosives right at the exact place? I'm not sure they do. I mean, they might but I'm not 100% sure. Well, that's why I said maybe like a BlackRock or somebody like that. Yeah, I, you know, the other, obviously there was a pipeline from Norway to Poland for natural gas that was just uh, yeah. finished and started the other day. Um, and so you would think if it was, if it was uh, Russia or a terrorist, you know, something like that, they would have done all three pipelines instead of just the two from Russia. Is um, that the one that Tucker was talking about last night on his show? Because I know he mentioned that yeah. there was another one and I didn't get a chance to go back and look to see what it was. 
but right and i you know i have i've been to meetings all day i haven't really been able to to look at the internet uh very much but i think if there had been a denunciation of the idea that the u.s government um did it by uh, biden or um blinken i i it would have come across my feed because i do try to follow a lot i haven't seen that has anybody seen blinken said something it was a weak statement but blinken did release something um it was just a weak statement though i mean but meanwhile you had kind of an emphatic denial meanwhile you had biden out there basically saying i mean they showed the soundbite of him saying we, we could do something about it. If they, if they invade, you know, we could do something about it. And the reporter's like, well, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you mean? You want to be explicit about that? Oh, no, no, we, we can do something about it. So he's on record publicly stating that. Yeah. And that clearly uh, makes him look a little guilty. The, I, I don't, the whole war doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, it doesn't make sense from the Russian perspective. Everything the Russians are doing doesn't make sense. Uh, it didn't make sense to invade in the first place. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the things that the Western powers are doing don't make sense with regard to supporting Ukraine. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I honestly don't understand anything. I don't think, I think that, the Russian invasion does make sense to me. I mean, we've discussed this on the show. If Mexico were being courted by China into a foreign military alliance, there's no doubt we would invade Mexico. And Ukraine is on the border of Russia. I mean, there's a lot more cultural affinity between Ukraine and Russia than there is between Mexico and the U.S. And, you know, but, but again, think- at, w- at what point do you start dropping bombs over that, though? I mean, what? I mean, was NATO, was the United States ever going to really attack Russia? What what was the real threat? We we blockaded and embargoed Cuba because they put missiles there. I mean, if if they put missiles, if the Chinese were to put missiles. I mean, how far are you going to go to how far are you going to go to antagonize a nuclear power like Russia? What are you talking about? We we said Ukraine. Biden administration said Ukraine belongs to NATO. Okay, but if he's perceiving a threat, a real threat, what's what's the threat? What what was ever really going to be done? Other I don't know. Than, what if Mexico? Were, what if Mexico? You talked. You mentioned Tucker. Tucker just did a, has done a segment on how China is taking over Brazil. What if China takes over Mexico? Are we going to just stand by and say, oh, okay, you know that's cool. We'll just make a you know we'll have new contracts. Well, take, no. take, takes over is a different thing than. Ukraine wanting to be part of NATO, as as stupid of an idea that may have been. So if you, you, know, Ukraine, you, you if Mexico you, wanted to enter a, a military defense pact with China, you'd be okay with that? I wouldn't be, it, I wouldn't be thing, okay with it. The thing about, about NATO is that for anybody to join NATO, everybody in NATO has to agree. And there was absolutely no um, consensus among NATO members that... Uh, that Ukraine would be allowed to join at least any time in the near future. And so Putin's, um, Putin's alleged war aim as, as to stop the expansion of NATO has been completely lost because Sweden and Finland have joined NATO. So, I mean, he, strategically, that was just the dumbest move anybody could make. If that's, 
if the reason is I want to stop NATO expansion, then, you know, he lost, he lost that battle already. So I, again, either you think Putin is a nitwit and, you know, he hasn't shown himself to be a complete nitwit previous to this, or, you know, maybe he's sick and like, maybe he's the, the, uh, the, the Biden ski of Russia and he's, not you know he's mentally deficient nowadays for some reason or um you know he he lost every strategic every strategic goal has already been lost right i I don't think sweden was was considered ever in the the russian sphere of influence finland a little bit more um, a little bit more russia controlled finland for like a hundred years i know well i'm not disagreeing (laughs) with you i'm saying uh, but sweden was certainly not in their sphere of influence and even though finland once was I don't think that it's considered that now. Um, the argument that makes it similar is that it was on the border, the same way that the Baltic states are on the border. Um, mm-hmm. the, the difference that I see is that there's a historic connection, especially but, through Crimea, to, to, between Ukraine and Russia. But again, was that really what he was after? I mean, I don't know what was going through his head, but apparently they were really after some of those territories where they claim that they really were part of Russia everything like that well I mean, yeah i mean if you think of I... if you think of the screw-ups the united states has done using military um like in in iraq and afghanistan like real complete and utter screw-ups and all it did was drain our treasury and kill our men and uh nothing uh was done and uh geostrategically we lost um big time in both cases, like, okay, I, I admit the American government has not learned from those stupidities, but you would think the Russian government would have learned from that. Yeah, you would think they would have learned, learned, they would have learned from Afghanistan. <laughs> if, if I put my tinfoil hat on, and I admit it's a tinfoil hat, but I, I, I almost think it makes the most sense. I think Putin has ties to the WEF, and there are, there's a part of me that thinks this entire game is being staged and we're all being played and Putin was set up to be the bad guy and Putin is just playing his role as the bad guy. And that sort of makes everything else come into focus because the sanctions on Russia don't make any sense. They're not aimed at winning any war. They're aimed at hurting Western Europe and to a lesser extent, the United States. And so when I look at, you know, why would Putin have done it? Maybe this is all coordinated as an attack on primarily Western Europe, but also in a, a indirectly on the United States as well. And, and that's what explains it. And everything else is a rationalization and, and window dressing. Well, the WEF is Western Europe. You know, I mean, that's kind of uh, it's the Western European elites who control uh, this whole globalist uh, global warming you know, enterprise. Um, so I think that, um, while they don't care about human life, obviously they, they wouldn't be, uh, you know, essentially neo-communists. Um, I, I don't think they wanted the mass death that this is going to provide Europe in this, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. I mean, look at what they've done. Look at what they did with the COVID virus. Look at what they did with the lockdowns. Look at what they did with the vaccines. I don't think they have any compunction whatsoever about killing millions of people well yesterday's conspiracy theories are today's facts right so the idea that the who 
would um, have a policy that said uh, lockdowns are the worst thing you could possibly do. And then we get the, you know, COVID and everybody turns and does lockdowns <laughs> and, and WHO changes its recommendations to say, oh yeah, lockdowns are cool. And then after two years, WHO changes its uh, recommendations again to say, oh, oh. <laughs> lost you. Screwed up is going on, right? We're gurgling there. We, we lost the sentence. I'm sorry. There, Ed. I'll be I'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> okay. So, Ed, Ed, Ed just to, to pick up on what you're saying before, Ed, I wouldn't want China at our doorstep, but would we start dropping bombs on, on Mexico at that point? It depends on how far along on the lines towards an alliance they were. If it were just a headline in a newspaper, maybe I mean, not. But you know, I mean, not to draw a moral equivalence between America and China. I mean, I think China would be far more aggressive in a sense. <laughs> uh, although we've pro we've fought our own, uh, you know, proactive wars, if you will, <laughs> in the last twenty years. But I, I don't know that we would start dropping bombs. I mean, we'd certainly be doing everything possible to avoid that from happening in the first place. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that if we had even the slightest inkling that Mexico was getting into a military alliance with China, we would invade and put a new government in unless unless uh, yeah, China I mean, Joe, if China Joe is president, then maybe not. But, we, we wouldn't wait until, until that point. There's things that we can do, certainly economically, if, if it were hypothetically that, that were to happen. But, you know, I mean, Putin still could have avoided the war and tried to push for what yes, he that's wanted. That's why I said, I, to me, the conspiracy theory sort of makes the most sense to me. It explains the most things with the least amount of assumptions out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing, not one response from the West right. makes sense. Yeah, I Everything think we've done has been harmful to our own people. Right. And, and I think you're, you're right about what you said. We, could, we can rationalize it. And the natural reaction is to, is to say we're just being utterly stupid. But the flip side is to be really cynical and say it's all on purpose. Like, you know, it, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that at times. I mean, as Rush used to say, of course, it's on purpose. I mean, yeah. all these dangerous, all these things that are damaging our, you know, our people and the Western Europeans. It, there's no way it's not on purpose. It has to be well, on purpose. I mean, how how far do they want to take it if they're doing it on purpose? Because, I mean, if we haven't antagonized him to this point, you know, having this pipeline, uh, you know, presumably sabotaged by somebody other than <laughs> Russia itself, um, that seems to me to escalate things quite a bit. And you have to be concerned. Let, the, the concern let's just is say that, growing uh, by the day. I, I am... I'm up here in uh, in Gomorrah for, 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 the, for, the, for the next couple of days. And I'm going to be leaving back for North Carolina on Saturday. And I, I hope nuclear war doesn't break out before then. Let's put it like that. Is the UN saying anything about this? Um, I haven't seen anything. Have, I haven't heard anything about it. I would that. think a Security Council would at least feign outrage at the idea that it, one country would have brought uh, this up. I haven't seen reaction from Putin. Have you? I mean, I haven't seen, but you would you would think that there would have been a strong reaction. 
And the environmentalist should be yelling because this is apparently yeah. a disaster, right? Right. Well, I love the way Tucker played that last night too. But yeah. But I'm I'm shocked that I haven't seen any sound bites or video of, of Putin reacting. Is On a certain level, maybe he thinks that this is going to help him in his war. I mean, it's maybe. Well, I haven't but, looked at uh, RT today. Looking now to see if. Uh, says oh. anything about Putin, but it doesn't. Well, if it was self-sabotage, that's that's a, one reason that he might want to do it from a propaganda perspective, but I still don't think that they did. I mean, I, I, I would think if I'm Putin, I'd be pissed off that somebody blew up my pipeline, but I'd be shrugging my shoulders saying, I guess the Germans are going to freeze to death this winter. Tough sucks to be them. Yep. But I would just think just the PR advantage of putting this on the United States and accusing them of doing such a thing. I mean, I used to be a, a very big patriot. Is this the most insane thing the U.S. has ever done if they did it? No, <laughs> but it's up there. So. I mean, blowing up a pipeline, I, I just. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, Tucker was pretty firm as far as i could tell last night watching him that he felt like we did it he's not the only one i think bongino seemed to agree with him um everybody's obviously no he didn't he, did, he didn't and when i when i listened to him you shared the clip today I, I listened to it and he he said he doesn't know but tucker was more i don't know if he has inside information <laughs> he well, seems like he felt like huge, we did right? it. apparently yeah we'll see. an apparatchik I don't know. To me, this whole thing is really unbelievable. And like I say, no one is using this to bash America. And why not? Why aren't they saying this must be America and asking who knows what sanctions or something? Who's they? Russia? Security Council. Why isn't Russia yelling at the Security Council? We need to condemn what America did. I don't know. Well, for one thing, we have a veto on the Security Council. Right. Um, and they have a veto and they just, you know, stopped us, I think, from condemning them on certain things. But still, this would be a PR coup, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, I, I, we might we, we uh, might have left out one actor who could have done it. China. Well, they have the um, the means and and the motive, but not the opportunity. There's not too many Chinese vessels plying the Baltic Sea that could uh, hit there. So I, I don't know. That'd be hard. I'm not sure that what, what would China's motive be? To pin it on us? Well, it would be to, you know, I mean, it, it would be kind of the same as, as Russia's, which would be to drive uh, a wedge in between various NATO countries, particularly Germany and the United States. And how, so, what would know. it take to make this thing get up and running again? How horrific is the damage? It's well, it's going to it's going to bubble up large amounts of um, large amounts of natural gas for quite some time uh, until the pipeline is empty. And if you look, you know how long it is. That's that's maybe a yeah. few days. Uh, then it'll fill up with water. Um, so you'd it have could, to go. It could and, cause a fire. There could be a massive fire associated with this. Too. Yes, exactly. So it's poor environmentalists. They have to decide yeah. what's worse, methane <laughs> in the atmosphere or carbon better, dioxide in the atmosphere. Better get ready for some serious climate change if that happens. Um, 
Yeah, it's definitely affecting the hurricane in Florida, which I guess is the second biggest story, because obviously this hurricane is all DeSantis's fault. Um, And uh, no one, uh, you know, is I, I don't I don't care how good a job he does with this hurricane, how organized the emergency response is, how wonderfully treated everybody is. Um, Every injury and death is going to be blamed directly on DeSantis for uh, his climate change denial to bring the hurricane about in the first place and his complete inability to run uh, a large enterprise like a rescue operation or, or you know, emergency management organization. So wasn't Bush uh, once blamed for actually redirecting hurricanes? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he has. Well, um, if, if Biden comes to Florida and DeSantis gives him a hug like Christy did to Obama, will he be oof. forgiven? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think DeSantis <laughs> is that stupid. I know that. I I think we know that. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was already started today with a reporter asking DeSantis, you know, shouldn't you have done more to prepare? And DeSantis said, said, shut up. We we started last week before this was even a storm, you know, and which is true. The the disaster declaration in place, they had plans to call up the National Guard, which, of course, takes time and they're all in place. And uh, he just shut them down and, you know, stop lying. I, I love him. He's 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 Trump without the without the stupidity. Mm. But, but the, you know, you are right. And yes, it will be a PR coup no matter what happens, even if one cat dies. But again, along those same lines, it would be a PR coup to say America blew up a Russian German pipeline. So where's the press on that? And where's the anti-American press? I guess they don't care because it's Biden. Well, the, the press is more anti enemies of the regime rather than anti-American. When the, right. when the regime is is pro-American, then the press is anti-American. But when the regime is anti-American, the press is pro-regime, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's bad. I'm a little surprised not to be too paranoid that they haven't blamed it on Israel yet. Um, there is That's true. I mean, there's been to profit from this. After Israel took down the, the Twin Towers, you would think that they would they would be the go-to people to destroy the pipeline. But, but apparently um, they do have gas that they're trying to sell to Europe or sell more of to Europe. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard that. So, but it is interesting, like all the normal blaming doesn't seem to have happened. Almost like it it's is, all coordinated. I it is funny. You can go there, it, Ed. It, it's almost as if everybody knows what happened and nobody wants to talk about it. Right. That's really, really, really scary. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a matter of course. Okay, it blew up. Let's. Well, I mean, there's so there's so many news events that have no no curiosity among the press at all. Now, some of them are are racial in origin, and we've discussed those before. But like the Las Vegas shooting, I was just out in Las Vegas last week. Total incuriosity of the press of what happened in Las Vegas. It's, it's just weird. You know, it's it's weird. Not the Lusitania. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I, 
I think another big story is is the Bank of England's capitulation this morning. I don't know if you guys are following that. Capitulation to what? Uh, they were going to uh, end quantitative easing and they were going to start quantitative mm -hmm. tightening. They were going to lower the ba balance sheet of the of the Bank of England. Uh, they were going to raise interest rates, which they're going to have to do given uh, Liz Truss's proposed budget, which is going to have major tax cuts and increased spending. So there's going to be a lot more debt um, that's going to require higher interest rate to sell the debt. Um, but the, the British pound, the, the pound sterling was tanking. Uh, right. Although in fairness, the euro and the yen are tanking way worse. I mean, this is really the real issue to me is that the dollar is, is strengthening and that Powell's, not Ed Powell's, but uh, Jerome Powell's Fed is is raising rates to the point where it looks like he's raising them to to break something. And, you know, and something is the world economy or, or some major economy in the world economy. Um, I'm kind of surprised that the movement of the pound is what broke first. I mean, I was sort of expecting either the euro, I was expecting euro to break first and the yen to be a close second. Um, but, uh, the bank of England went back to quantitative easing. They're going to start churning the printing press again, and that's going to lead to almost certainly going to lead to much higher inflation. Um, to some of us, this whole international economics is very, very complicated and difficult to understand why the dollar is so strong when Americans are so much trouble, how the interest rates affect it, what is affected by the dollar being so strong. Well, let me, let me interject, Steve, and try and give you a quick answer. If you can get 4% on a US bond and a quarter of a percent on a Japanese bond and 1% on a British bond, which one are you gonna buy? Right. You're gonna buy the US bond. But and does that order, make the United States stronger or weaker? In order to buy the U.S. bond, you need to buy a U.S. dollar. You have to buy it with a dollar. So the differential in interest rates leads people to sell foreign currencies, buy dollars, and then use those dollars to buy U.S. assets. That's why the, the, it, the Fed aggressively raising interest rates much faster and higher than the rest of the world is leading to a tremendous run-up in the dollar. So is that a good thing for America? Depends. That's why I'm so confused. It, it depends. I mean, it, it does reduce inflation here, especially to the extent that we import goods. Uh, the stronger the dollar is, the cheaper foreign goods are. Uh, but in the long run, any government control is going to be destructive. So, I mean, that's your answer. I mean, and why wouldn't these other governments just follow suit? Because raising interest rates without cutting government spending and without going to sound money leads to a depression and it's going to lead to massive unemployment. Um, another factor in this, in this equation is that oil contracts and then a lot of international finance and international debt are denominated in dollars. So as the dollar appreciates, if you borrowed money, you know, say in Brazil or in Dubai or wherever or anywhere around the world, there's a good chance you borrowed it in dollars. So when the dollar starts appreciating, you start having major 
um, pressure on the on the local economies. Um, they don't want to raise their own interest rates, though, to and they don't want to raise their the value of their currencies because that's going to, like I said, that's going to lead to right. more unemployment in those countries. But everybody's sort of in the same boat, though, right? I mean, if we raise rates, there's implications for that. If if we don't, there's other implications. We talked about we're kind of damned if we do and damned if we don't, in a sense. Well, we're not damned. I mean, the solution to the problem, the solution to the problem is to recognize that Keynesianism doesn't work. And that something called the Phillips curve, if you've studied economics, the Phillips curve is a Keynesian tool that says there's a trade-off between inflation and unemployment. And the, if, you know, if you have high inflation, the way to get rid of it is to raise interest rates to the point where you crush consumer demand and business demand. Um, the real answer, the real solution is to crush government demand and cut government spending. You can do that without raising interest rates. You can cut government spending. You can link the dollar to a to a commodity like gold, and you'll strengthen the 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 currency, which is in fact what the Russians have done with the ruble. And the ruble is the one foreign currency that has not fallen against the dollar in the last seven months. Um, but they they tied their the ruble to gold. So if you do, if you do sound if you make sound money, and I don't think they tied it to gold. I think they tied it to oil. I think they tied it to gold. I mean, they required okay. payment. Uh, they, they required payment for their oil in rubles, which and the ruble was tied to gold. I think that's what they did. Um, but anyway, the I mean. Even if they tied it to oil, oil is still a real commodity, and it it's it's no longer a fiat currency when it's tied to a to a real life real commodity like that. Um, so, but the answer is to to give up on Keynesianism, to give up on the Phillips curve, and to say no, we're not going to crush private demand. We're going to crush government demand, which means we're going to crush government spending. We're going to cut government spending, stop government borrowing. Government borrowing is what's driving the debt. Well, I mean, that is the debt and it's what's driving um, inflation. Yeah. They're printing the money in order to, to pay for all these spending programs. Yeah. But these other countries keep their rates really low. They're basically accepting runaway inflation, right? That's what's going on. And, they, and they're faced with the choice of either runaway inflation or runaway unemployment. And that's that's what's going on around the world. The Bank of England decided today, well, I guess we're going to have a little more inflation. We're not going to put up people out of work. Unreal. It's such a mess. Okay, so I'm just asking what to me is kind of a simple question, maybe in the sense that I'm a simpleton. When we talk about the American economy nosediving, does the strong dollar allow the White House to go out there and say, look how strong we are? In many ways, yes. Okay. Well, they would say that whether uh, it's strong, strong or not. Isn't, isn't that kind of like saying you're the last part of the Titanic to go under? No, but I'm asking, in other words, how important is it that our currency is so strong? Isn't that a well, relative? Well, I think in general, you do want a stronger currency. A stronger currency is does allow you to purchase more things. And in general, you know, except, you know, if that's the only factor, it's sort of an indicator of, of domestic and uh, economic health. Unfortunately, in our situation, it's 
reflective of government meddling in the economy and we're just our fed is raising interest rates faster than anyone else one of the things that um the economists do is they calculate the gdp which is um you know domestic price times quantity um it's plus exports my it's plus, plus exports minus imports, right? So right. It, well, um, it's, it's domestic consumption plus business investment plus government spending plus the net export import that you mentioned. Yeah. So a uh, strong dollar penalizes exports and and um, and enables Lord. imports. So 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 it would you know it it would it shifts the D GDP uh, the not, I, you know again I don't pretend to be an expert but it shifts the GDP down. Um, well, I mean, yes and no, because what's what's driving it, what's driving the high interest rates is generally government spending. Right. I mean, that's what you know, when you mon when they monetize the debt in order to sell the debt, they're going to have to pay a higher interest rate to sell more debt. And so when you have more debt that reflects higher government spending, government spending is a component of GDP and it's a large component. So I'm not sure that's right, Ed. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, I, I think generally a strong dollar is good. I think people want weak currencies so that they uh, have more exports, that they prioritize exports. But um, I don't know. Yes, but that, that sort of became a dead end for Japan. It's becoming a dead end for China. Um, I don't think the weak currency model works in the long run. Um, it does work in the short run for the reason you just mentioned. But in the long run, I think that a stronger currency generally is an indicator of better economic health. Um, but we're, I mean, we're running into disaster. And it's just the way the system is set up, the US is going to be the last one standing. Right, which which kind of leads to, the, you know, the more stories about the digital dollar business. Um, I forget who was it who, who quoted, it was Bongino, who was quoting, I think, the Fed or somebody talking about the digital dollar not being anonymous, blah, blah, blah. Is all this leading more and more towards that? Oh, no question. I mean, to me, when I look, why, why is, what is Powell trying to break? I think he's trying to create a financial crisis and they're going to use the financial crisis to usher in a digital dollar. That's that's what I think the end game is right now. But, you know, I also have a couple of tinfoil hats in my closet. So. But we are heading off a cliff. That doesn't seem to be tinfoil, right? I do think there is going to be an even more downturn um, in the United States uh, yeah, I, I can't see how we're going to, you know, get out of having a fairly bad recession, but I don't know necessarily um, when it's going to happen. October is usually a good month for these sorts of things. There's, um, there's going to be economic pain. It's just a question of how bad. Yeah. Are we going to wake up one morning to find out that everything's crashing around? Us? One of the reasons what the United States has been, um, somewhat insulated from the catastrophes, uh, economic catastrophes in the past um, is because there is this flight to the dollar 
when when sort of worldwide economic problems happen. And uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily justified as far as, but it is, it is what people do. And so um, even if, you know, Europe has a very bad winter and it looks like they are going to have a bad winter um, and the United States goes into recession, I, I do think the United States has this advantage that, uh, that other countries don't have. You know, if the euro goes down, it's not necessarily going to affect us as much. So on, on the econom, economic question, is there a floor for the stock market? Yeah, sure. These euro. companies actually, no, no, no. These companies actually do stuff, right? I mean, let you, we may not like what some of them do, but, you know, Apple, you know, they, they get stuff made and it's real. And, uh, and there is value in it. Um, and, you know, uh, as long as they are producing something real and there's value in it uh, and demand doesn't go to zero and I don't see how demand would go to zero, um, then these companies always have, have value. So, but I, I, if you're asking me, do I think the stock market is going to go down maybe 60% from its high? I think that's probably close to the truth well the high was thirty nine thousand, and it's about twenty nine thousand today so it's already gone down 25%. yeah so yeah so another definitely another 25 percent definitely uh and maybe for, some more. Reason, for some reason bonds are down as well well bonds, uh, bonds are down because the interest rates are going up, going right? up exactly Think about it, Steve. If you had a bond, if you're holding a bond that pays two percent interest, and all of a sudden interest rates go up to three or four or five percent, your bond is worth a lot less because people could just go buy the new bond for five percent and get a higher interest coupon. In order to take your bond, you're going to have to give them a discount so that their their realized gain is going to be equivalent to five percent. Yeah, nor normally the bonds sell at you know, at the discount. So at, let, without doing compounding, let's just assume you have a 1% bond for over 10 years, you buy it at 90% of its face value. And so you've, you've invested 90 cents in this bond and each year, you know, you get 1%. I, I know there's more complicated math involved. There's just doing that. And at the end of the 10 years, it's worth, you know, $1 and then you, you've made your 1% a year or 10% from it. Um, and then, so, but what happens if you're holding this bond, um, which you paid 90 cents for, and interest rates double to 2%, which means somebody else can buy a bond for 80 cents. Um, that will mature, you know, in, in 10 years to be worth a dollar. And, you know, you're one year in, so you've got 91 cents. Well, that's going to be worth 82 cents, right? Because, uh, again, they're not, nobody wants it unless they're going to make the same amount of money as the new bond that they can buy. So um, the ex price of the existing bonds goes down. That's about as simple as I can make it. I didn't do a very good job. Right, but the newer bonds cost more. And all this is yeah. happening when supposedly the housing market is crashing. Well, I don't think the housing market is necessarily crashing. I do think the housing market will go down in places where economic activity goes down, right? I mean, that's the thing. If a factory closes, 
then the people in that town, you know, and it's not in a big city, then in, people in that town are going to want um, to move to where there's a jo where there are jobs, and so they they preferentially sell their houses. So there's more sellers than buyers, and the price. Hey, but high interest rates also destroy yeah. the housing market. Yeah, that's a big problem. What are that's right. Like they're like up to like seven percent now, and a lot of us are yeah. sitting on, on rates of like four percent or, or less. I mean, that makes it that makes it hard to make a move. When you're yeah, I mean, a lot of people are canceling contracts supposedly and obviously people with adjustable rates are in trouble and it's oh. got to hurt the housing market so what is good well living in the moscow metropolitan region um i i don't i'm a little bit insulated from uh from these sorts of things because there is no way they're going to like not have meat in my stores um you know what I mean? For the for Again, the record, Ed lives in metropolitan DC. Yeah. <laughs> the richest yeah, part I, of the world. Yeah. The the capital, as they say in the Hunger Games. I live in the I live in the capital. And there's always going to be meat in in my stores, whereas in Peoria, maybe not. Um and I, I know I've you know I have other friends besides you guys in other places, and they've complained about um bare shelves and well there are you know there are a few missing items here and there we do not have bare shelves at all and we have you know endless supplies of meat and fish and chicken and and whatnot uh, perhaps at higher prices but you know they're they're not empty you know and, and it's never going to be empty in the washington dc area for the same reason it, the stores were the the real currency stores the foreign currency stores in Moscow were never empty. Um, because as soon as that happens, then and the bureaucrats start feeling the pain of their own policies, then um, it it upsets the apple cart. But I do think there are going to be shortages and, um, and much more price rises on things. Uh, they're just, there's all sorts of negative reports about Farm productivity, uh, the, the second wheat crop didn't do well this year. Um, and of course, corn is very important because it's used as animal feed. Um, and uh, it's one of the, you know, one of the reasons why meat is so expensive to begin with is because we burn most of our corn in our, in our automobiles against the will of everybody who drives. There's not a single person who drives a car who would rather burn, you know, food than uh, they would rather burn gasoline, but that's been forced on all of us. So, well, it's not that it's, 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 not that it's burning food; it's that you, the the ethanol ruins your engine, right. ruins your engine, and causes worse gas mileage. Other than that, it's oh, just that's great. a great idea. Archer Danlos Midland is the only person, or the only company in the, or you know, the CEO is the only of ADM is the only person in the whole world who thinks ethanol is a good idea. I want to leave the country for again. Um, we haven't yet argued about the referenda. And then we got a lot of uh, unease in Iran. And then obviously the lady in Italy. Yeah. What that means to us. All right, you're the boss. What do you talk about? Sorry? What do you want to talk about first? Well, let's deal with the referenda for a minute. I mean, when are those results going to be announced, if not yet? And obviously, oh, they, they were announced. It's like 95% in favor of going to Russia. And there, you know, there's uh, some is dot videos of 
Russian soldiers dragging people out of their yeah. houses at gunpoint to put put them right. in the uh, the line to vote, and uh, they were not terribly, right. uh, you know, they were not terribly uh, good at at making sure right. uh, people's votes are private either. Right. So, so I mean, it was it was ninety five percent in favor and five percent in favor of being shot. Yeah, exactly. you know, I'm curious. Yeah. I guess to play what if if Israel were to send their army into Gaza and force everybody at gunpoint to vote to be annexed by Israel, would the world sit by quietly? I, I, I think the world is not sitting by quietly with regard to the Russian um, attacks on Ukraine. The, the, the weird thing, I read this article by a, uh, a Russian expatriate who tried to explain the way the Russian government works. And his, his thesis was something on the order of, we think of dictatorships as whim-based. And to a certain extent during the Stalin purges, it was. But what ended up happening out of, after the Stalin period was process-based. It, it, it's very much all process-based. It's bureaucracy. It's it's bureaucracy, it's process, and you get you know you get things like the Chernobyl uh, incident, which was uh, brilliantly dramatized in the in the HBO or Netflix series. Anyway, um, and so what Putin is doing, he is following the quote unquote legal and bureaucratic process to as much as he can or you know, as much as possible. And so when, for example, people in Moscow are being dragged out of their apartments uh, at the point of a gun to be thrown into um, recruitment centers, this violates the process. And so the Russian people are, and even the Russian bureaucrats are like, what the hell's going on? There, there was a, 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 a TV commentator, Russian TV commentator, very close to Putin, very pro-Russian, very pro-invasion. Um, he was on uh, some show and they had English subtitles. And he was like, what the hell's doing this? We, we, have a, we have a process. We have all these reservists. We call up there, we know who they are. We call them up. We don't have to drag people out of their apartments. What are we doing? And this is a pro-regime pro person on pro-regime media. So to the extent that Putin starts violating the, the law like he's doing with this mobilization um, or the means of the mobilization. Uh, the mobilization is following the law, but the means of the mobilization is not. Then he's going to lose a lot of the support just like he lost that guy. The guy's still a Russian patriot. Um, the other thing is one Russian vlogger I follow and I follow closely since the invasion, he um, escaped. He left Russia. He, um, he he told a very interesting story about how he had to uh, how he was he's forty six, never been in the military. He spent like twelve years in the United States and speaks perfect English. And he um, he made up a business trip to Uzbekistan, no, to um, Tajikistan. And uh, since he had business in Tajikistan and had gone there before, and for some reason he got, he got approved to fly out of the country. And then he walked across the border to Uzbekistan 
and was met by a friend and was taken to Tashkent where he has other friends with other business. And he's just going to build his life in Tashkent now. And he's a Russian patriot and he is a war skeptic. And uh, he, he skeptic in the sense that he's anti-war. Um, and, uh, and he escaped, he said the four men in front of him at the airport were turned around and told they couldn't, couldn't leave. But for some reason, again, because he, he has this business that has operations both in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, um, they let him through. And he said it was a miracle. It's interesting because, you know, we're, we're sort of geeky, right? We, we know a lot about it, a lot of this stuff, but I'm not sure if even a lot of our audience understands that there are a lot of Russians who are opposed to this war and are leaving, trying to escape their own country and avoid being drafted into the mobilization. And I, I just wonder how, how much uh, Putin can survive the unrest and opposition within his own country. So to me, it other- seems like this is a great checkmate move to annex these areas and say, if you attack them, you're attacking Mother Russia. Everybody says, these, oh, he's going he's gonna to nuke someone. I mean, that would be the end of Russia. So that, that's ridiculous. I mean, even the Chinese would be like, whoa. I think, I, I don't think Putin is firing on all cylinders. And I don't think, uh, you know, of course, Biden isn't firing on all cylinders. And so I, I think he does these things like, I don't exactly know what he thinks he's going to accomplish by drafting a million men, handing them rifles from World War II and throwing them in with two weeks of, of quote unquote training in, into the machine guns, except a lot of dead Russians. Um, while the Ukrainians have spent the last eight years trying to become and mostly succeeding in becoming a modern American type military, combined arms military. Again, Ed, that only um, speaks to the part that's still Ukraine, but the part that he's now calling Russia, who's going to violate that territory? Uh, the Ukrainians are. I. <laughs> they are today. Not gonna, I mean, no, because right now it's not Russia. But when tomorrow it's called Russia, I just, I don't see it that way. I see that as a great move against the West, and I don't see them attacking what he calls Russia. I, I, again, Israel I said they're not recognizing it. I don't I don't believe that. I don't get it. Um, I think they're going to get away with it. And no one's going to recognize it. And the Ukrainians certainly are going to continue to fight for Ukraine. They're not going to stop at some fictional border. I mean, the why is it fictional? He, he's claiming he's claiming these four oblasts uh, and he doesn't have control over any of them. Let me ask you a question, Ed. If Europe freezes and starves to death over the winter and the euro starts to crash and you have massive unrest in Western Europe, do you think that Ukraine can survive fighting in that in that environment? They're not going to get help from anyone, except maybe the United States. But I think that a, a European crisis is going to overwhelm Ukraine and take it completely out of the news. Uh, that's my take on it. Uh, well, I do think uh, if there is some sort of uh, disaster this winter, um, obviously a lot of people die of cold and a lot of people die of heat about 
twice as many people die of cold each year as die of heat. And so cold is threatening. And, you know, if, if throughout Europe, 100,000 people die of cold and 50,000 people die of heat, which is probably close to the right answer, uh, the right number. Um, it, it depends on what the media says, right? Because like, if it's 150,000 die of cold rather than the usual 100,000, is that a crisis? Is it, because you can, you can live with cold, you can, if you, you know, have blankets and, and whatnot, you can live. The problem is very, very old people who are not capable of, of dealing with themselves, you know, of, of, of dealing with everything. And a lot of those have been killed by COVID. So I, I don't know. Well, I'm not I, I talking about just your ordinary winter of, of 100,000 or whatever your number is. I mean, I'm yeah. talking, you know, if it's five well million, yes, it's crisis. a crisis. Yeah, if it's if it's five million rather than hundred thousand, yes, that'll dominate the news. But if it's one hundred fifty thousand or even two hundred thousand, I, I know, I I know, and depends where it is, right? Where in Europe they're dying? I mean, we all think Germany is is, but the Germans are I, Germans are very very robust people. I mean, what they put up with in the Second World War, uh, I, you know, they're very robust people. And yes, I know it's a different generation. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think that's why we live in interesting times. And you you hit on it. They can just blame it all on COVID. I, I, By the I, way, it's you're, not a bad point, Mike, actually. <laughs> it's another strain. Yeah, it's yeah, the it's frigid not, not strain. Yeah, Putin strain. The Putin strain. It's Putin. I, I, I don't know how bad it's going to be because I don't have a good quantitative understanding of like how much natural gas is used in industry versus how much natural gas is used for home heating and how much natural gas they actually have from other sources and how much electricity is used for heating and how much electricity they have from reliable sources and how much they have from unreliable wind and solar. And I, I don't have any quantitative answer for that. Um, my guess is that with rationing, they can probably get through the winter fine, but there are going to be a huge number of layoffs because these factories are very electric electricity intense. If you're building things, or you're building a ship, you know, you're at a steel mill, you have an aluminum, uh, mill, you know, all of this stuff, if the, that takes a ton of electricity to run. And if they don't have it, they're just going to close them down because they're going to close them down in preference to closing grandma into the grave. So it's going to, I think that there'll be more economic effects of massive unemployment and thus inflation yeah. because they're going to try and pay people uh, unemployment insurance. Right. I, well, more that than grandma freezing to death. There'll be some of grandma, but right. I just think more that, unemployment. I just think that Ukraine is going to be the, the Ukraine situation and defending Ukraine is going to be looked upon as a luxury that nobody can afford before too much longer. I'll tell that to Mitch McConnell. I, yeah, well, of course. There's a whole bunch of things I'd like to tell Mitch McConnell. That would be, you know, maybe at the yeah. top five, but it wouldn't be the top one. The, the thing about Ukraine is 
the U.S. and the Western allies are nickel and diming him to death. Okay, they're giving him some weapons, a few at a time, instead of like pushing everything to Ukraine. You know, going all in. And and the the thing is, there's like the Germans have decided. The German army has decided they don't need any tanks anymore. That they've just decided we're not going to have tanks because they're too expensive and they can't, you know, and they, they you know, who are we going to shoot with tanks anymore? We don't need them. So they're going to go to essentially um, wheeled vehicles with, with like AFBs only with wheels. So the Germans have these, all of these leopard tanks and they're, if not the best tanks in the world, certainly the second best tanks in the world. And they're just sitting there ready to be scrapped. All the animation sitting there ready to be scrapped too. And they won't like give them to Ukraine. And Ukraine say, hey, you have all these tanks, you don't need them anymore. This would cost no money, by the way. I mean, just train fare or whatever. And so I don't understand this. I don't understand this mentality. If you're going to be in with helping Ukraine, be in. But the well, we'll give you one of these and two of these and three of these. All that does is, is like prolong the war and thus kill more people. Um, so if you're going to be in with Ukraine, they should just give them everything they have. I mean, there are no threats to Germany other than Russia. So you might as well just give them everything. And as far as the United States is concerned, there's two buckets of money when we give things to Ukraine. One bucket of money, we've given them weapons and now we're giving the first bucket of money to our defense contractors to replace them. And the second bucket of money is the money that goes to fund the Ukrainian government operations. That's the slush fund. That's the one that goes back to Hunter and to all of these, you know, all these politicians and whatnot. And we can potentially complain about that. I'm certainly complaining about that. But if you want Ukraine to win, giving them American weapons and then replacing the American weapons by the usual means of Lockheed and Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and all of these other companies is that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't offend me particularly. Um, that's kind of what we did with Britain in the second world war and whatnot. It's the slush fund money that offends me. I don't have the numbers to, to back this up, but my understanding is that he, that we've got more than one spending bill to Ukraine from the United States Congress. That is more than their entire defense budget for all of last year. Oh, I'm sure that's true because their defense budget for all last year doesn't make anything. So, I mean, how can you say we're not all in on them? I mean, if we're giving them, you know, it, more than they the spend. The thing is, what, it, it's like, what do they need? Well, they need these artillery systems. They need tanks. They need AFBs. That's what they need. And we give them onesies and twosies. And like, where are we going to use M1 tanks? in the future, I, not in Taiwan, you know, not in Korea, maybe in, we have some in Korea. You know, I mean, we don't, there's no reason why we can't give them 500 tanks and then over the next five or 10 years, replace them. And that's what's all, that is what all, I mean, we have like 10,000 tanks or 5,000 tanks. Why not give them 500, right? And the same with the well, artillery systems. There, there's no reason not to go all in. Well, getting back yeah. to my original conspiracy theory point, maybe the reason is this is all orchestrated 
to just deplete everybody and not let Ukraine win, but to bleed us dry trying to help them. I mean, that's what well, makes we're not being sense. we are not being bled dry. There the are spending there. six trillion. The government's spending six trillion dollars a year, almost entirely wasted. The 40 billion that we give to Ukraine or whatever is, is there are stories not, out there that we're literally running down our ammunition and our, our weaponry and that we have a strategic petroleum reserve that too, yeah, I, even weapon. Yeah. I, I don't know about I, I, I know there are some weapons like the javelins and the GMLRS that we are running down. And I'm not saying we aren't the, those two things in particular, we are running down. Um, but I mean, you, you can't run us. You, you, you giving 500 tanks when we have 5,000 is not going to run us down. It's, it's just not. You just can't do that. But yeah, ammunition is difficult, and we should be replacing. One of the things the war, I mean, to the extent that you want the United States to have an effective large military, um, we don't have nearly enough ammunition. That's just what we've discovered. If we're in a war that doesn't last more than a couple of weeks like Iraq. We do not have nearly enough ammunition. And I, you know, I have no idea whether our uh, masked and shielded uh, diverse uh, Secretary of Defense is gonna do anything about that, but one hopes he does. Okay, I wanna, I wanna move quickly because we're running out of time, but Iran, is that gonna be squashed and does it matter to anything on the world stage? I didn't really see what was going on there myself. So you want to fill us in a little bit? Well, they they killed that lady very brutally because she wasn't wearing her hijab correctly or something. And now there's tremendous protests on the street and they're supposedly killing other people. And this is whole big uprising on the part of the women. Um, my gut, as usual, say they'll just crush it. But is anything really stirring of any significance? And does that in any way influence this whole JCPOA agreement, et cetera, et cetera? I've seen videos of people attacking policemen, men attacking policemen and taking their weapon. That is what has to happen for a revolution to be successful. You have to either attack the police or you have to get the police to come over to your side so that the revolutionaries have force on their side. I have seen that in videos out of Iran for the first time since these up and down Iranian protests have come. Whether that means anything or not, we'll have to see, but that have, is something you have to do. I have a contact from Iran, and while my contact is not you know, part of any revolutionary movement, um, my understanding is that Iran is very different from all the other Islamic countries in the sense that it was far more westernized before the 1979 revolution, uh, that there are a lot of people, especially young people, who have absolutely no interest in the Islamic revolutionary state. Um, and it's that it, there are more highly educated people than any of the other Arabian uh, Peninsula Sunni countries. Uh, whether that's going to be enough to matter this time, I don't know. I think eventually either that culture will have to be weeded out by the clerics or it's going to continue to lead to these kinds of uprisings. They had one in 2009 
that Obama just sort of laughed away. Um, but this is not, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. I think eventually they're going to succeed. I don't know when. Uh, you never know how long the dark ages last. But um, I think I, I'm sort of cautiously hopeful. You know, not necessarily this time. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful it'll be this time. But I, I think that the seeds of revolution have already been planted. And Isn't it interesting that it's two full generations since the revolution and they still have people who are fighting it? I think it's I, because that they have some form of economic freedom and they do not have complete censorship. In that sense, I think they're like China. And I think the seeds of revolution, are, the same seeds of revolution that are planted in Iran are planted in China. I don't think China is necessarily decided that they're going to be these totalitarian communo-fascists forever. But in both cases, the central government is extremely strong. And in both cases, they have uh, a parallel government. All totalitarian societies have parallel, parallel governments, the real government, the, the nominal government, and then the, you know, S, the Gestapo and the SS and the Nazi, the KGB and whatnot in the Soviets. In Iran, they have the RGC. In China, they have the social credit system and the MSS. They all... All totalitarian governments have this parallel structure. So the, the question is, can you get people with guns in either the nominal government or in the parallel government to side with you against the, the masters? And I think probably not in both cases right now, but that's not to say that if hard times comes, not um you know that it wouldn't happen in the future mm -hmm. okay does italy mean anything right now yes yeah of course it does and will it affect the eu's composition the eu didn't the eu lady say something about they're gonna like snuff it out or something yeah 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 and ursula von der Leyen oh, yeah, said right. that the, they have ways to deal yeah. with people like that yeah, um, I, you, we'll see within, you know, she hasn't quite gotten in yet, but as soon as she gets in, we'll see what she does. The most important thing is for her to shut off all migration and um, turn away all the ships. And if she does that, then that's going to cause a problem with the EU because the EU is, you know, full on uh, replacing the European population with Africans. So we'll see what she does. The other thing is that they've got this, uh, you know, things have to be decided um in brussels well you know major policy have to be decided by all the the heads of the government and uh so far orban has been a holdout uh hungary and P poland's another holdout but hungary and poland are arguing because hungary wants to stay friends with russia and poland wants to go all in for ukraine but adding a, a second head of government that would um, being the sort of anti-EU stance might might be helpful, which would try to push the EU to do like the founders did. And, and um, you know, when we moved from the Articles of Confederation, which required unanimity to the Constitution, which required, um, you know, 
two thirds or three quarters of the states from may, fundamental fundamental changes, three quarters of the states. Um, that was a that was a huge uh, that was a huge problem really, and uh, for the United States because the the center now was uh, more powerful than any individual uh, state. So um, they might move to do that same thing requiring three quarters or two thirds vote instead of unanimity. Uh, in which case, I don't know what will happen. I think what's happening is the U European Union is in the process of imploding and collapsing. I don't think that they're going to be successful in stopping her. I think that the more successful she is and the more rebellious she is, the more it's going to lead to other secession type movements in the EU. And I think that the EU is in the process of imploding. Uh, I think the euro is about to collapse. And I think I think that the whole European Union concept is about to collapse. So I, I think that she's going to be uh, part of the vanguard of history, to use one of the leftist terms. Well, am I hearing optimism? <laughs> I mean, I think that the collapse of the EU is going to lead to a lot of misery. But yes, I think it's a totalitarian movement and I think it's going to be for the best when it goes away. So, yes, I think that's a little optimism. I wow. mean, she's not the totalitarian. She's not the fascist. God, that, that, that's what the, the media is telling us, right? I mean, yes, I, I, I mean, shockingly, of course, but obviously when they react that way, we know who they're really worried about. And they're worried about her. Boy, are they worried about her. And she was mightily impressive in the sound bites that I saw of her. So, yeah, she's very impressive. Uh, I think that. Um, hopefully, uh, the, you know, the migrant stopping the migrant crisis is the most important thing for Europe. I mean, it's one of the top two or three important, most important things for the United States. Um, we have other problems, though, um, but it really it really is the most important thing for for Europe. Um, it's pretty important here, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very important in the United States. Um, it does seem that the United States is able to um, assimilate better, even when the school systems are, are trying to teach people not to assimilate. It does seem like the United States assimilates better than, than Europe does. The, the jury is still out on that. Well, I mean, I, you know, I live in a neighborhood that's minority white. And we're all friends, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it's not. It's assimilation does happen in the United States where it does not happen as much nearly, nearly as much in the, in Europe. Okay. Um, Anybody have anything uh, we haven't gotten to that we can cover really, really quickly, or at least touch on? We didn't, we didn't that commitment to America. We didn't talk about that. That's I right. I, I, I think the, exactly. <laughs> I think that's the whole point, right? Cause I don't have a damn clue what's in it. Like, I didn't read it and I don't even care. It, it just shows how Tone deaf well, they are. It's like well, I, 19, I, I read 1995 it. is is over. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, let's like, let's be honest. There's two ten thousand dollar bills lying on the road, right? Crime is through the roof. Illegal immigration, immigration. is through the roof, and um, and government spending is completely out of control. Oh. And COVID totalitarianism remains in certain places and has to be stamped out once and forever. And I, I would say if those three things um, aren't in the 
contract with America. What's the, what do they call it? It's a commitment to America. Commitment, then uh, we should get rid of all the Republicans because they're just totally useless. Well, well, exactly. I, I read I read it. I can share it with you guys after the show oh. is done. Um, but there's not a word about COVID fascism. There's not a word about the forced vaccines. There's not a word about ending the lockdowns, ending states of emergency, ending rule by decree by, by state governors, uh, ensuring a Republican form of government for every state. Um, and more importantly, uh, there's, uh, well, I don't know about more importantly, but equally important, you know, there, there's nothing, you know, the, there's a, a mention about securing the border, but not a single word about deporting anybody. I mean, we just had yeah. the Martha's Vineyard scenario and they learned nothing from it. Absolutely. Well, nothing. That's what here's, here's another one. Well, I'll go ahead, Mike. What were you going to no, say? No, no. I mean, you reminded me of Hannity's interview with Trump from last week. And I mentioned that even Trump was not committed to deporting all these people who flooded across the border under Biden. He's like, only only the bad ones. Well, that that's that's not what we expect. Right. You know, Here, here's another bad. one that really sticks in my craw. The commitment to America promises 200,000 more police officers without mentioning a single word about the policies that those police officers are enforcing. Why in the world would the Republican Party hire 200,000 more police officers to enforce laws against their own people? It is the dumbest I thing I've ever seen. Our problem is not lack of police, it's lack of prosecution and uh, lack of mass incarceration. We need more mass incarceration that gives jobs to Steve. And we, yeah. It, but they're, they're perfectly fine. They, they've got the J6ers. They'll incarcerate all of us if they could. But what needs to happen is we need to end the weaponization of law enforcement against law-abiding citizens. I have a feeling that that's in federal law enforcement you know and you know the fbi it's should not be in the commitment to america there's not a single right. mention of the out of control fbi the out of control department of justice uh merrick well, garland that, that's Packard another parents. big story from the past week right it was the the fbi yeah some of the things oh, yeah. going on with facebook and everything like that i there's mean a, it's, a, getting, it's getting worse by, by the day there's a new good article by michael anton he wrote the flight 93 election article and well the one quote that's stood out to me is the whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives the business of progressives is to go on making mistakes the business of conservatives is to prevent the mistakes from being corrected and if that doesn't sum up our political system i don't know what does well put okay folks did we get to all three of your subjects that you wanted to quickly cover I wasn't sure that we did. Well, it was the referenda. It was the referenda. It was the referenda in Italy. It was Italy, and there was one and more. Iran and Iran. We covered it very, very quickly. Okay. Um, obviously, there's millions of um, more subjects we could cover, but try to wrap up unless something super pressing and quick. Oh. Okay, we're good. We will be back next week, hopefully with the whole five. And uh, we thank you for being here. Please send comments and feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Have a wonderful evening.